0: It's Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gestand. Yes, indeed. Glad to be in the house. Very glad to be in the house with you on this Monday edition of Lifeline. happens to be October 30th. 2017. Hope you're doing all right. Hope you're blessed in the Lord. Hope you're in a place where you can uh, join me for the next two hours as we just talk about the things of God, the things of life, and the things that are necessary to talk about. You know how we do it on this program. There is a number to call and reach yours truly. That number is one 1888 3675 1888 Three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. If you have a question, if you have a comment, theological, practical, social, uh, marital, et cetera, et cetera, give me a call and uh, I'd be glad to engage you for the next couple of hours. That's how we do it on the Potpourri Monday edition of Lifeline. Of course, we have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday with your Mr. Craig Roberts, who is the actual host of the Lifeline program, the inimitable Craig Roberts and his his broad capacity to engage you in many, many different subjects. I simply have the privilege of uh, ushering in the week, and I'm so glad to do so. I, uh Jesse Gistan, by the way, if, if you haven't heard this program before and someone told you, you need to listen to that brother on Mondays. He often has something to say. Jesse Gistan, pastor of Grace Bible Church in Hayward, California, uh, friends of many of you out there in radio land and. And family members, by the way, I trust a number of my family members are listening. Got a whole uh, swath, I know it's a bad term, of grandkids that are um, presently on their way if they haven't landed now in El Salvador to visit their relatives, and uh, we are praying their Enjoyment for the next three weeks, and then their safe return home. That is for the Flores family, um, all of them, all five of them. uh, Grace and mercy and peace and joy and fullness and blessing, and then return on back because we want you here with us. The Lord say the same. Yeah. So, how was your worship yesterday? I trust that you did worship. I trust that you did. Uh, take the opportunity to gather with the people of God, as do all Christians, where they have been informed biblically that this is why God saves them. John four twenty four twenty five. 25, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth for such the Father seeks to worship him. We are at that brink. It'll happen tomorrow <clears throat> and then two Fridays from now. Tomorrow, though will be a very historic event for those of you who know who you are as Christians on a larger collective ecclesiastical level. um, Many of you know that you are evangelicals who have benefited from a marked event in history that is called the Reformation that took place almost 500 years ago. Uh, at a time when the church, the Catholic Church, had gone so far, so far, far afield that it just suffered the consequences of a departure of many of its citizens, its leaders, etc., etc., and uh, and the Reformation took place. It was fundamentally marked, but not initially, but fundamentally marked by. Martin Luther's 95 Theses on Wittenberg's Door, Wittenberg's Door, where the debate, discussion around sola scriptura, justification by faith, and a number of other things, like I stated, 95 Theses, so he had a lot to say. But what really brought about the permanent, longstanding 2,000-year, 500-year break, sorry, 500-year break between the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church is really the issue of sola scriptura, to be honest with you, um, and within the framework of sola scriptura are other cardinal doctrines essential to a proper expression of Christianity, grace and, and faith and, and Christ and the sovereignty of God, the glory of God, all critical doctrines that actually highlight and affirm biblical Christianity. And uh, and it will be celebrated tomorrow at the same time that the pagan, secular, historical uh, culture will be worshiping the dead, worshiping the dark, worshiping the damned. The people of God will be thinking about how gracious God was to allow us to recover a complete dependence upon and a recognition of the sufficiency of Scripture, which is really my assignment two weeks from this Friday, not this Friday, the fourth, but this next, not this Friday, the third, but next Friday, the 10th of November, as you guys have already probably been hearing listener celebration at Valley Bible Church in Hercules, right by Panole. Um, You guys have probably been hearing it on Pastor Phil Howard's program uh, early mornings as well as on Sunday. I think they're already running clips on the Way of Grace uh, Midday program. Um, I think they are. I haven't been listening. Don't listen much. Too tied up. But I think they're already encouraging those of you who live in that area and want to just come out and be with us on that Friday, November 10th, uh, to gather together and to enjoy a meal uh, a time of worship and biblical proclamation. Of course, there's going to be a book signing by Pastor Phil, uh, and then then wonderful worship by New Generation Band. Uh, but here's what I've understood, that if you plan on going, and I pray that you do, I'd love to fill up that place uh, just with listeners, let alone their own members and ours at Grace. Um, if you're going to join us on the 10th of November, and those of you who are pastors that are listening, you're can you you going to join me on a uh, Friday morning uh, for our KFAX Pastors Appreciation Luncheon. Uh, luncheon, then afterwards, um, you can actually drive on out to Valley Bible Church and uh, meet in the Family Center there. The, uh, the address is 1477 Willow Avenue in Hercules, 1477 Willow Avenue in Hercules. And again, it's going to be a wonderful time. My assignment will... B, to once again revisit the sufficiency of Scripture and the sufficiency of Christ, two sides of the same coin in all reality, since Christ is the word of the living God, since he is the very expressed image of the invisible God, since he is the exact representation and divine copy of God the Father, Uh, then we will be talking about God's word, that is his son, as the message that is sufficient to call, save, sanctify, and glorify. That's what we will be talking about, and I'm looking forward to you being there. But you're going to have to call to get your free tickets, tickets in order that you have the meal. That's what I'm told. So you call this number, 510-799-3171. Call uh, Valley Bible Church. The number is 510-799-3171. I'll mention that a couple of times throughout our program today if you're going to join us. And I really hope you do. Looking forward to celebrating with you and being with you on that day. But getting back to where we are in preparation for tomorrow's Reformation Day, And for those of you who feel you have the justifiable rights to go out and beg for candy with your kids, uh, wearing Halloween costumes, that's your own business. Um, But one of the reasons for which the Reformation was launched was because there was a conflict in the Christian world between traditions of men and the teachings of Scripture. And it was an irreconcilable conflict. So, so what is our authority? Is it really merely the, the, the traditions of men and then the Bible is an addendum to it? Or is it the Bible alone uh, and maybe the traditions of men can serve as an informant to the uh, ac- accurate truth of Scripture expressed in doctrinal form um, um, throughout church history? Um, The latter is really the premise upon which we teach Sola Scriptura. Often people will think that Sola Scriptura means that we can't listen to anyone else outside of Scripture as a basis of um, information and influencing how we would interpret the Scripture. But that would be wrong historically and it would be wrong factually. But what we do mean is that the Word of God alone is the final and sole authority for life and faith and that there is no other grounds upon which we can reject what Scripture says when it's clear and explicit about what we should believe and how we should live uh, over against yielding to uh, church dogma, church tradition, and church church teaching, if you will. Uh, That's the radical difference. And so if you are in a church that teaches the Word of God, from a Reformation standpoint, uh, you are in a church that has historically uh, adopted and inherited the blessings of uh, what we call a gospel foundation. I'm going to share that with you before the break. What does it look like to be part of a gospel church? Now, this is an article out of the Tim Marks uh, series. You can go to their website, Tim Marks. And they really do have a lot of good articles, particularly for pastors and and teachers and things like that. But in their um, meditating upon and devoting themselves to the Reformation, they say that there are 10 marks—that's Mark's 9, by the way, Mark 9 Ministries—there are 10 marks of a grace-alone church. And I thought, that's quite interesting. Actually, there are a whole lot more. But if you call yourself a grace church or a grace believer or a grace person— Here are 10 things you do if you really do call yourself a grace person. What we're learning in the book of Jude is that there is a kind of perversion of the grace of God, neglect of the full, copious scope of the grace of God that makes a person a pseudo-gracer as those men that had crept in unawares, uh, perverting the grace of God, turning it into license, and then denying the only Lord God that had bought them. That's Jude verse four, by the way. And I'm going to share with you before we go to the break, 10 things that marks a solid grace alone church over against all other kinds of churches. Here's the first thing a grace alone church does. It takes sin seriously. A grace alone church takes sin seriously. I quote, grace is not simply a sentiment or an attitude in God. It is God's concrete response to human sin. This means a proper understanding of grace depends upon a prior proper understanding of sin and the human predicament. No grace-filled church will be unclear about the problem grace is meant to address. We attend church to feel good about ourselves and to learn some tips on how to live better. We are missing the point. Such attitudes indicate that we see no real human problem, but that which is psychological in nature And such is a lack of true knowledge. We fail to see where the real issue lies until we see sin as the problem. We won't understand the nature of God's prescribed solution. No grace filled church will be unclear about the problem. Grace is meant to address. So if you say, you know, the God of all grace, then that says you understand clearly how serious sin is. Secondly, a grace filled church takes Christ's seriously. If sin is the problem, grace is not simply God's benevolent decision to ignore it and pretend the fall never happened. Grace in the Bible and among the greatest exponents of grace in the history of theology is embodied in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace in the Bible is embodied in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is God's action to deal with sin in Christ and in the application of Christ to the individual by the Holy Spirit. If we speak of grace without speaking the name of Christ, we aren't speaking biblical grace. Christless talk is Christ is graceless talk. Now, the Arthur's right about that. A grace alone church will not just talk about grace. She will talk about Jesus Christ. If we speak of grace without speaking the name of Christ, we are not speaking biblical grace. In the Bible, grace is so intimately connected to Christ that Christless talk is Christless, graceless talk. So the Bible tells us, and I'm quoting here, John 117, Moses brought you the law, but grace and truth came where? Through Jesus Christ. Thirdly, not only will a grace-filled church, a grace-alone church uh, take uh, sin seriously, take Christ seriously, it takes God's priority in personal salvation seriously as well. Predestination remains a contentious topic within the church, the author says, as ongoing debates within the Southern Baptist Convention, for example, indicate the emphasis on the sovereignty of God's grace we find in men such as Augustine and Calvin represents an important and non-negotiable aspect of the Christian doctrine. It's true. This side of glory, we won't be able to answer all the questions the doctrine of predestination raises. But Paul's doxological statement in Romans 9, Romans 9 indicates that he, too, was acutely aware of the limits of human speculation in this matter. There comes a point when we must stop theologizing theologizing, theologizing rather and speculating and simply declare God's glory. A grace alone church will unashamedly declare God's sovereign priority over all creation and his sovereign priority over the church and her people. Only in this way can ministers preach with confidence, knowing that it is not their eloquence that saves, but the Spirit using the Word to bring people to Christ. And only in this way can pastors confidently counsel people, knowing that whatever the problem may be, Our sovereign, gracious God is in control. So there are at least three things we say mark a grace alone church. They take sin seriously. They take Christ seriously, and they take take God's priority in personal salvation seriously. In other words, God has a people whom he has chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. They are called God's elect, and they are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. If you are a believer today— That was God's purpose for you, child of God, before the world began. It also goes on to say that a grace alone church takes assurance seriously. That's fourth. It takes corporate worship seriously. That's five. It takes the Bible seriously. That's six. It takes preaching seriously. That's seven. It takes baptism seriously. That's eight. It takes the Lord's Supper seriously, that's nine, and it takes prayer seriously, that's ten. Having examined all of these requisites that Mark 9 has shared with us on this person, and I'll read the other six after the break, I can safely say that our church is a grace alone church. We are serious about sin. We are serious about grace. We're serious about Christ. We're serious about God. We are serious about worship. We're serious about the Bible. We are serious about the table. We are serious about baptism. And we are serious about prayer. Are you? Are these the marks of your local church? If they are, then you are well within the uh, framework of the inheritance of those who came out and returned to God, uh, explicitly depending upon the sufficiency of Christ of Scripture as the grounds of their hope for salvation. So I'm going to take a break and uh, love to hear from you. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. You've got me for the next hour and. 20 minutes, uh, 10 minutes rather, no, hour and 40 minutes, if you will, and we can talk about whatever is on your mind. I've got a few other things I do want to talk to you about, but we've got to take a break right now. You're listening to the Monday edition of Lifeline, your host, Jesse Gistan, one day before the Reformation. We'll be right back. And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan and we 're back the time five twenty five on the Monday edition of Lifeline one day before the Reformation almost let's say thirteen days before our our fellowship at Valley Bible Church in Hercules, as I said in the opening commentary with pastor phil howard he's the voice on um what 's it called truth for today, early mornings on this KFAX station. If you want to catch up with them, um, I'll give you the number shortly on how you can join us. It appears that November 10th is going to be an extremely busy day. Early in the morning, we'll be, we will be having a time of gathering uh, uh, with pastors at the Pastors' Appreciation uh, Breakfast, uh, brunch-in, lunch if you will, for KFAX somewhere in Fremont. And uh, one of the boys will be speaking from New Life Live. Um, also, Grace Bible Church in, in uh, Redwood City, one of our fellow radio uh, ministers, will be holding a conference. It'll be called Equip Conference. And uh, a couple of guest speakers there at that time on the 10th, 11th, and 12th will be Justin Peters and then Kosti Hen. Heard of Peters, haven't heard of him Peters does a good job. He has moved into a sort of an apologetic mode. And so there, there can be some real blessings there, too. So if you want to seems like you do need to be getting out on that date. Uh, November 11th is a special day for me. It's also um, Veterans Day, so it's a good time to actually um, huddle up with the Saints and prepare uh, to deploy for the Lord as soldiers in the army of God by fighting the good fight of faith. I do want to encourage everyone listening to make sure you are in some house of worship on that Friday, maybe even Saturday, and certainly on Sunday, November 12th as well um, for that activity. Again, as we had stated, October 31st every year. Our evangelical churches that are very much aware of their history and lineage lineage spiritually uh, do recognize and observe uh, Reformation Day. And as I had stated earlier, a true grace alone church will have certain marks. The first will be that they take sin seriously. In other words, they don't sweep it under the rug. They don't deny that the only way that it can be solved is secondly, taking Christ seriously. For God the Father, God Almighty, the Omnipotent, Eternal One, the Ever-Present One, the All-Wise One, He saw to it before the world began that the only real answer to sin is His Son, Jesus Christ. So if we assert that... We can deal with our sins apart from Christ, and you never have understood sin properly, and you certainly do not take sin seriously. Thirdly, a Reformation church, a Grace Alone church, will take God's priority and personal salvation seriously. You must be born again is the way the old saints used to say it, and that born again has a lot more to do with just a good fuzzy feeling. It's a knowledge of your having been actually renewed by the Spirit of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the consequence of powerful proclamation of the person and work of Christ coming home to your soul and being clear in your mind that you are ruined by the fall and can only be redeemed by the blood and must necessarily be regenerated by the spirit of the living God to really know that you are in the family of God. It's not just a simple blip of making a decision for Jesus. That's horrible. That's not what salvation is. One must know that salvation is far more radical than a simple word, far more. And so we take uh, Christ seriously. We take personal salvation seriously. Fourth, we Fourthly, we take assurance seriously. We take assurance seriously. Why? Because we believe that when Christ hung on the cross in John chapter 19, verse 31, saying to tell us die, that it was finished, understanding the deep, rich implications of that term to tell us die is that the debt was paid. The price was paid. The ransom was given. God's wrath was satisfied. Justice was propitiated, if you will. And as such, righteousness was procured for all who believe in him. And righteousness is imparted to all who actually have faith in Christ. So that once saved in the sense of really, really, truly being saved, you can never, ever lose your salvation. That would be the same as God being an abject failure. If he gave you his darling son. And his son said, it is finished. Then you and I are sure secure for all eternity. If in fact, we really do have the saving grace that Christ offers in the gospel. As he said in John chapter 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, I give them eternal life and they shall never, ever, ever without a doubt. No, never perish. And if God said it is good, we take assurance seriously. Fifthly, We take corporate worship seriously, and this is an area where I see uh, we're losing out here these days because of the strong propensity of secularism dominating our lives. We somehow just really believe that worship is an option. So listen to the author. He says these words, For the Reformers, as for the early church and medieval fathers, the gathering of the visible church, was important. In fact, we can say it was the most important thing for them. Certainly, it was so important to the medievals largely because of their high sacramentalism, that is, their regard for the table and baptism, something the rem- Reformers rejected, but even so, the Reformers believe that the church is God's creation and that it is the place where grace is found through the proclamation of God's word and the administration of the sacraments. In our churches, we call them ordinances, that is Baptist. We live in an age which church is often regarded as an optional add-on to the Christian faith or as a place we go to learn the Bible to make some good friends, a context for social interaction. A church that takes grace alone seriously knows that while all those things may be true, the primary reason we go to church is to receive God's grace through the word of God and his ordinances. It is with the gathering of the saints on the Lord's day that we receive what we need, strengthening us to go about our daily calling for the rest of the week. He's absolutely right about that, for which the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 10, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together As the manner is of many, and especially as you see the day drawing nigh. So if the Hebrew uh, writer was writing somewhere around AD 69, AD 68, or maybe even AD 73, 74, almost 2000 years ago now, if it was important then, how much more so is it important now? What is the sixth thing that marks out a grace alone church? Not only is it that we take sin seriously, not only is it that we take Christ seriously, not only is it that we take God's priority in salvation seriously, not only does it show that we take assurance seriously, not only do we take corporate worship seriously, and I could stay on that because I've I've seen the deterioration in many people's lives for years now as a pastor over 20 years at Grace Bible Church. But we take the Bible seriously. If we take grace alone seriously, then we will inevitably take the Bible seriously. The Bible is God's revelation of the history and identity of his people and supremely of his purpose for them as they culminate in Jesus Christ. Given this, we may need to spend time reflecting on how the Bible functions in our churches. Is time given to the public reading of significant amounts of scripture in worship service? Do our sermons bring people back to the Bible again and again and again? In our church, we call it being tethered to the text as you talk and you teach. Do our sermons bring people back to the Bible again and again and again? Are the public prayers suffused with biblical references and biblical allusions? In other words, when people pray, do they pray from a point of scriptural reference and theological richness? Or do they kind of pray pagan prayers? Do people leave church knowing the Bible better than when they entered? That's a critical question, isn't it? When you come to church and you observe worship on a given Sunday, when you leave, do you know more about the Word of God than you did before you came? Or is there no difference? These are the marks of a grace alone church. I've got to take another break. I do have two lines open, one triple eight, three, six, seven, five, one line. Now one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'm gonna take a break, and then I'll take your phone calls on this Monday edition of Lifeline. We'll be right back. And now back to lifeline with Jesse Gistand. Alright, we're back. Let's see. Let's go to line number three and talk with Deborah in Oakland. Deborah, how are you? What's your question or observation today?
1: Well Jesse, I agree agree with everything you said. The thing the thing that is though, is it doesn't it's not a mental or emotional exercise. It's a work that the Holy Spirit is only able to do because he knows what each of us as individual believers need and he can bring that about make us more like christ in that area in which area in the area where you know we need to shine the light of the gospel because when the lights on the darkness flees Mm -hmm. and uh the more we fellowship in the light the more the darkness will flee and the less power it'll have over us.
0: I agree with you, but I don't know what part you would be a refuting of mine. What What were you saying you disagree with?
1: Well, I'm not. I I didn't disagree with you. Okay. But I agree.
0: Right. I wasn't sure what you meant about just an emotional exercise.
1: Well, a lot of times, you know, people get hyped up in their emotions and their mental true. capacity, and they it, it, it's all surfacey. It's not. That's true. Going Deep enough.
0: That's right, and, and and I am. I mean, if you ever, if you ever listen to me preach, the last thing I could do is tell people not to be emotional. But uh, it's well, you right. No,
1: I I believe in emotion, but if if you're counting on the emotion, just
0: uh, you know, yeah, it won't get you. It won't get you far, will it? No. Nope. Right. They should be like icing on a cake. But give me the cake. Yeah. Give me some substance.
1: Yes, I would have the substance.
0: <laughs> All right, so, you know, we're working on making sure you get your care package two Fridays from now. You know that, right?
1: Well, yeah, but, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to have – I'm not going to be there to sign tickets, so. All
0: right, well, you know, we're going to cheat, girl. We can cheat in the name of grace. We're going to cheat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. well, yes, right. you
1: will. You pray. Uh, for me, I'm really sad because I have to give up my beloved pet because – Some of my friends are
0: so allergic to cats, they can't tolerate her. That's true. That's true. That's going to be tough. Do you have to give her up?
1: Yeah, I have to give her up for
0: Mm. the sake of the gospel. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, the Lord will—he will reward you another way, but that's—yeah, you know, you're going to grieve. It's it's impossible. Yeah, because
1: I've grown up with cats all my
0: life. Of course. Of course. Yeah. It's amazing, too, because I'm putting a lot of people away. Um, obviously animals are not humans in the same sense in which they uh, possess the Imago Day, but they are wonderful companions for human beings. I know that for a fact, having had them as a youngster. Uh, and and when, when you have had them for a long time and that changes in your life, that is a grieving moment. That is a time that is very, very, uh, it's, a, it's a serious transition. When is this going to happen? Well, it has
1: happened. This oh, did it? It's so I gotta find a good home for her as soon as possible.
0: Okay, what's her name?
1: Her name is Pumpkin. She's pumpkin. Dark orange <laughs> with a little bit of white.
0: She better um, be called. Perfect. She better be called Pumpkin. <laughs> that's she looks beautiful. Like a pumpkin. She That's beautiful. That's, how old is she? She's,
1: well, they found her when they found her because they, she was alone. They don't know, but according to the vet, she was about three years old, and I found her about three. So it's she's a. Approximately about six years old, but she's healthy and she's got no problems as yeah. far as we know.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh-huh. we're going to pray that God would uh, provide a wonderful home for pumpkin and uh, a wonderful solution for you and the gospel choice you have to make.
1: And pray that the Christians will talk to me and pray with, um, read the scripture to me, because I can't read the Bible like I used to. Because sure, sure. It's hard for me to hold up a book on my stomach, you know, because I'm right. a flat on my back.
0: All right. Well, we, we're going to sustain that thing, that thing that you've been asking several uh, prominent persons for, and that is, uh, and which is the right thing to do. Uh, God plainly told us um, that we are to ask, knock, and seek, and eventually he'll, he'll render a solution. There will be a way that is made for you to be able to fellowship by way of technology, whether computers or telephones, et cetera, around the well, Word of I God. Did,
1: I can't deal with computers because it hurts my eyes.
0: Yeah, you don't have to look at it. I'm talking about cut it on so that people can communicate with you via it or maybe a cell phone. You got a cell phone? No, I don't. Uh, well, girl, who how how do people get a hold of you? You got a regular telephone, landline? Yeah, I got a All mm-hmm. All right, so yeah, we got to kind of get you up to the 21st century here. We'll <laughs> we'll 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 think that one through. We got we will think that one through because it can be done. Okay, yes, it exactly. it can be done, and so you guys, y'all heard that. So let's get on our knees and pray that through for Sister Deb, so that she can be part of the fellowship, just like a lot of our brothers and sisters all around the world are part of our fellowship because they have the technological capacity, which is not all that expensive today. So let's pivot. Let's uh, launch into it and make that happen uh, for Christmas for death.
1: If people want to give me food in between these times, all they need to do is call. I can tell them what I can eat, what I can't.
0: Got it. And uh, and we'll we'll make sure that that goes through the right channels because that's going to start happening here soon between now and Thanksgiving and Christmas and all that. So yeah. yes, we'll just you guys heard that go through the right channels, okay? And we can make it happen. Um, Deb, what's your number again? Five one
1: zero eight nine one zero four eight
0: nine. Oh, that's right. Okay. You guys got that. Call your sister. We'll talk to you later, okay? Okay. All right. Let me go to line two quickly and talk with Tanshea in Hayward. Tanshea, are you there? Yes, sir. What's your question, observation, or comment today?
2: I just have a comment real quick for the last caller on um, Miss Deb. Um, She said that the computer hurts her eyes. Well, one of the things that she could do, you know, if she got a computer, and this would also help with her being able to, you know, meet with people she can't get out or what have you Mm -hmm. because you can FaceTime and all that kind of stuff. Sure. um, Is adjust the settings so that it's not as bright, or they also have screens that you can put. Filters. Or thing that you could put over the screen so that it's not as bright, too. That would help her. So that it wouldn't hurt her ass.
0: Well, you know we will oh. we will be visiting that because I got a feeling that Deb is dealing with a dinosaur computer that would hurt anybody's <laughs> eyes in the, in the 20s. Yeah, so, <laughs> with them CRTs <laughs> and one of those fifty pounds monitors,
2: and where yeah,
0: huh? where the screen goes, ooh, ooh, <laughs> where it heats up the room, and you come out of the room with a tad. <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> all right what's your what my, what what my did you call is, for
2: <laughs> my My question is is um why first is why do they refer to Christ as the Son of man, and then also um is Ezekiel a type of Christ, and the reason why I'm asking that is because every time the Lord addresses him, he addresses him as the son of he he addresses him as Son of man, and so I was wondering, is he a type of Christ? in terms of the office of being um, a prophet? And, um, and also, is there any additional significance of um, God referring to him in that manner? Or is it just because he's, a, you know, the son of a man?
0: Right. A couple of things. Um, yes, of course, you know, with the Christocentric hermeneutics, somehow all scripture is pointing to who? Christ. Right. So you're already, your, your spiritual intuition is already going to be fired up and, and leaning in a direction of trying to understand the spirit of prophecy. That's Revelation 19.10, as John was told by the angel, uh, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So all through the scriptures, the testimony is about Jesus in some fashion or another. And Ezekiel is what we call a pre-revelation book. In other words, many of the symbolisms and and and, uh, and and revelations that Ezekiel had in Ezekiel's one through ten, and then the latter chapters concerning the larger Ezekiel temple are all corresponding revelations that have their fulfillment in the Book of Revelation. So Ezekiel, being a son of man, is the same terminology that is used of Jesus. Jesus is called the Son of Man. He calls himself the Son of Man. Um, The term son of man has a unique messianic connotation uh, of which the main three offices that we know that Christ occupies, even though he occupies them anymore prophet, priest, and king, king, priest, and prophet um, are the primary offices with which he actually executes and function as the ruler of this present world. This is why we call him Kyrios, but the son of man is both the archetype. And the ultimate prototype of the perfect man, and that can only be Jesus. So when God created Adam and Eve, God created Adam and Eve in the likeness of Jesus, because Jesus is the icon or image of the invisible God. And so the only way that we can bear God's attributes is to bear the attributes of God in Christ So when Christ was assuming a human nature and walking on the earth, he frequently called himself the son of man, the son of man, affirming that what Ezekiel was called was pointing to him because all the prophets point to Jesus. And you okay. are, and you are more inclined to be correct when you say, "Does it mean anything more than that?" Well, first, yes. If you are a man, you are a son of a man. If you are a daughter, you are a son of a daughter, and the uh, the daughter of a daughter, and the daughter of a man. So the son of man is definitely he who is of mankind, right? Right, That just makes all sorts of uh, fundamental sense. There's larger theological truth to it. But in this context, the Son of Man for Christ actually means that he is the creator of mankind. He is the Lord of mankind because he preceded mankind. That's Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. And I saw one like the Son of Man proceeding to the throne. And him who sat on the throne was called the Ancient of Days. And therefore, Jesus is the pre-incarnate son of God, who would assume a human nature, for which from Adam up to Jesus, all of those who were obedient servants of Christ were types and patterns, especially Ezekiel. So that idea of Ezekiel being called the son of man was for him to be closely associated with the one true prophet who could bring us not only a fuller revelation, but the final revelation of God's purpose and will, and that is Jesus Christ. And that's why the book of Ezekiel is so powerfully driven by imagery of future things because he points to Jesus.
2: Okay, okay. Thank you so much. Does that help? Yes, sir. And then I'm going to listen to this again so I can fairly, fully digest it. There
0: you go. You know how many times. 10. <laughs> All right. T- Thank you. Talk that to you later. It. All right, got to take a break. Two lines open, one 2 lines open, one An hour and 10 minutes to go. We'll be right back. And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. We are back the time, five fifty Two lines open if you want to call in now. one uh, 888 3675329. We are enjoying Reformation Day. We are talking biblical talk. I'm answering questions. If you want to call in and uh, raise a question, be glad to hear from you both this hour and the next hour as well. one 3675329 Let's quickly go to Elias in Hayward on line one. Elias, with your question, comment, or observation?
3: Hello, Pastor Jesse. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Okay, um, I have got two questions. One, one is rather a this. Um, I would like your opinion on it. Um, I'm gonna start with the one for their opinion. Um, it's about a movie. It's Hollywood and it's Catholic. I'm not Catholic. I actually attend Grace Bible Church. I spoke with you before. Okay. Um, it's it's a it's it's a hard question even for me to get it out. So bear with me. Okay. Um. It's, ba- it's based on uh, Catholic monks. They're on a mission, uh, missionary trip mm-hmm. in uh, Japan, and they converted um, a lot of people there. And let- I'm going to just get right to the point. They, um, they were executing a lot of people, and they were trying to get the monks to, um, to uh, how do you say it, um, announce Jesus.
0: And renounce, the, the, renounce, renounce Jesus. Renounce,
3: sorry. Sorry, Correct. renounce Jesus. So, uh-huh. so let's just go straight to the end of the movie. There was a lot of the Japanese that they converted that actually was going to be executed. The last, um, last monk was there with, the, uh, with another monk that actually was already had renounced Jesus. Mm-hmm. So now he's thinking about doing it because he wants to save these Japanese lives. He ends up doing it, and then the, down the line, him and the other monk is talking. And he's saying that um, only God can um, read our hearts or something in that matter. Um, only God, God knows our hearts. Um, so I just want your opinion on that. I actually take these questions off the air. Um, that one is just your opinion, what's your insight on it. The other one is rather more important. Um, the other one is about speaking in tongues. I've been to a few churches where they speak in tongues. And I heard even stories about people getting scared away, about people speaking in tongues. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm under the impression that it should be interpreted if anybody's doing that in the church. And I just want to get your insight on both of those, if you would.
0: Sure, sure. Okay, thank you very right, much. Right. The, f- the first one, historically, is, um, is an issue that the early church dealt with, you guys, in terms of our Lord made it very plain. And you get this at Grace when you come to Grace. Um, If you're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, understand that the only prosperity that's promised is the prospering of your soul in union with Jesus Christ as he becomes more and more uh, the central revelation of your life. as Christ made it very plain. If any man loves me and keeps my commandments, I will come unto him. I and my Father will come unto him, and we will manifest ourselves to them. And, and what that means is that um, a growing knowledge of God in Christ as a consequence of your uh, communion and sanctification, growth and grace, And the knowledge of the Lord may not merit you worldly blessings, but it certainly will merit you spiritual blessings. Um, in addition to that, the Bible is clear that all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's Second Timothy chapter 3, as well as many other passages. As our master made it plain in the world, you're going to have trouble, thalipses, tribulation, trials, all sorts of things that are a consequence of being in another man's kingdom, preaching a different God, as one of my deacons puts it. So very clear. Um, and as a consequence, we have to bear our cross. Early on, Christians were being killed, such was the case with Stephan, the first New Testament martyr in Acts 7. And then from that point on, Acts chapter 17, 18, uh, recognized persecution abounding. The first century had uh, a reasonable amount of persecution, and then it started to escalate um, uh, over the years uh, up to the end of the first century. Uh, Then in the days of Diocletius, Diocletian, there were also more persecutions. Persecutions had been going on for quite some time. Time. And then what began to occur was a concern with whether or not a person could re, could reject or deny the lordship of Christ and thus l- their lives are spared. And then later on, when that persecution is let up or that person is released and they go somewhere more safe, they can recover their profession of faith. This was a big issue in the early church Uh, between the East and the West, where some in the West plainly said, no, they can't recover. Some in the East said, yes, they can recover. That is to say, the human beings are weak and feeble. We all are. This is where one has to be extremely careful about making judgments about a person's uh, depth of uncertainty of rejecting Christ. And and where we uh, walk on holy ground on this subject, you guys, has to be at the place in which I'm sure our master wants us to walk with a great deal of humility and carefulness. And that is when our Lord was crucified, as he was led to trial, what does the scripture say? Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be what? Scattered. What sheep? The apostles. The very people that would be the foundation of the New Testament church denied our Lord. Denied him and scattered. So did they lose their salvation? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Did they smart for it? You better know they did. Peter sorrowed with such bitter weeping and tears to even think that he could shrink away from the master and not suffer with the master. But the Lord was showing him that it requires a kind of grace that only comes from God, upon which believers must be utterly and totally dependent and also prepared. We don't know that here in the States. We don't know what it's like to experience the kind of persecution that comes at the uh, consequence of rejecting the option of if you recant, if you reject Christ, if you deny him, call Caesar Lord or call Augustus Lord or call Nero Lord, as was the case in the first century. Uh, and you'll live, you can work, you can stay on some of the working logs and, and, uh, and, and therefore, uh, feed your families and provide for your relatives rather than be excommunicated from the city and then have to starve to death, et cetera. Um, we don't know what that's like. So we want to be very careful, very careful. The early church thought that they would exercise a kind of permanent judgment that if an individual had um, had denied the Lord, that they could not return to Christ nor return to ministry. But the Bible is clear, isn't it? Before I take this break, isn't the Bible clear? Children of God, all manner of sin will be forgiven a man except for one sin, and that's blasphemy of the Holy Ghost how serious this matter is. And why is blasphemy of the Holy Ghost the only sin that is unforgivable? Because it's the only sin that God and that individual knows is a permanent irreparable breach. And utter demonic denial of what the soul knows is absolutely true and yet under the vigorous powers of darkness rejects and opposes at a level that goes beyond the weakness and feebleness of the flesh and the mind and the emotions under a duressful trial. Total difference, total difference. We have to be very careful with that. So, Um, we don't want to try to draw conclusions where the word of God does not allow us to draw conclusions on those matters. We want to be very humble and ask ourselves, what should I do if I found myself facing those same kind of circumstances? One, pray that my life from this point to that point is not so wasted by frivolous, carnal, superficial things that I am not mature enough to understand that I might be on the brink of glory only at the expense of my immediate life through martyrdom or suffering. See, because if you're super carnal and super fleshly and super worldly, when the trial to take away comes, you can't see God's glory. Stefan saw God's glory. And so while he is being stoned, there was a work of grace in his life to anesthetize him, if you will, so that he could say, Father, lay not this sin to their charge because he was beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, standing at, right, at the right hand of God, the Father, and beseeching Jesus, Jesus, receive me into your presence. Now that's grace. That's grace. Grace. And I think that that's an appropriate example, Acts chapter 7, a preparation for martyrdom that allows you to glorify God with the spirit of glory resting upon you while you suffer. Many other situations we cannot fully account for, and we need to be extremely careful about it. Don't condemn anybody. Don't justify anybody. Just bow your face in the dust and say, Lord, have mercy on me. If I should ever be brought to that place, may you grant that I am prepared in my heart, soul, and mind to stand for Jesus who stood for me and died for me and suffered for me under your wrath, not just the wrath of men, but the wrath of God. He said yes to that wrath, swallowed up Jordan stood before the King of terror and rose again on the third day on your behalf. May he grant us grace to be able to do that. May he grant us grace. I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I'll answer my brother's second question, and then I'll take your phone calls. We've got two lines open, one 3675 329 one 3675 329 You and I right now are supposed to be in training to die. I'll be right back.